Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here, and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we are talking all about franchising and whether a franchise business is a good business to buy or not. To talk to us about this topic, we have Brian Keane, the founder of Franchise Simply. Now, Brian has been involved in the franchise industry for more than 30 years, and he is now the founder of Franchise Simply, where he's on-the-ground business experience as being a multi-unit franchisee, franchisor and franchise consultant has led to him creating a step-by-step system which helps SMEs grow their business by franchising. So I thought Brian was a really good person to talk to about franchising and buying into franchises as a whole because he comes at the issue from a slightly different perspective than many of the discussions that we've had previously in relation to buying and selling franchises, buying and selling businesses. So buckle in, here we go. Let's chat to Brian. Hi, Brian. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us on the Deal Room podcast. Pleasure, Joanna. Thank you so much for the invite. Really grateful. Looking forward to it. Well, look, we had a really good discussion recently on one of our Talking Law podcast episodes all around the background of franchising. And during that discussion, there are a few topics that came up that related to the sale of franchises. So, Brian, that's why I wanted to get you in today to talk on the Deal Room because it sounds like you've got a lot of knowledge in this area of franchising. And I just thought it'd be really good if we could delve a little bit on the deal room into the discussion about buying into a franchise. And then as a part of that discussion, I'd also like to, I guess, understand more uh, and be able to communicate more to our audience, maybe about what some of the warning signs are in this area. Because as we talked about in Talking Law, franchising is not getting a good rap at the moment, right? That's absolutely right. Yes, unfortunately, it's true. And I think it's interesting because um, all of the publicity that is being shown at the moment into the franchising industry as a whole, I think potentially can impact businesses or individuals indeed who are looking into either buy a business or buy a business that is part of a franchise. And so right at this point when you have buyers who are sitting here trying to evaluate businesses that are are independent versus businesses that are a part of a franchise, I think it's probably useful to provide a little bit of information about the sector as a whole and maybe talking about what some of the negatives and positives are of franchises rather than independent businesses when you're looking at it from a buyer perspective. But before we launch into all of that, Brian, maybe just give us a quick overview of who you are and um, what your claim to fame is in the area of franchising. Um, I was a registered builder with a building development company in the early 80s. uh, The financial and building world went upside down. I joined the franchise group. I had seven retail bedding franchises in a group called Bedshed in WA um, over a five-year period Then started off as a broker, then started consulting together with a partner. We expanded that across the country and indeed internationally, and we had half a dozen of our own franchise groups. 
So over the years, I've helped a lot of people involved in franchise groups like Jim Penman and Murray Dalmeida from Donut King in the early days, those sorts of people, and ultimately retired and then decided we were bored. So my wife, Crew, and I <laughs> teamed up and we started a, a digital consulting business. So we've got a how to franchise my business simply in a cloud-based process. So it's from that background um, that I'm chatting you today to draw upon that, that experience I've accrued over the years. Yeah. Okay. Fabulous. All right. Well, let's step into the murky depths then of franchising. So looking, I think we're looking at two main areas. Number one, if you're looking to buy into a franchise, how do you do it? And number two, why would you do it as opposed to buying an independent business? So maybe let's start with number two first. (laughs) Why? Why might someone think to buy into a franchised business as opposed to an independent operating entity? Okay. To start with, franchising is without doubt a very successful methodology for business, for the right people with the right business. And that applies to franchisors and franchisees. But I must say, as with lots of things in life, it's not for everyone. Um, so if, if, you're, if you're looking at it, franchising or making a comparison, and I think you owe it to yourself to evaluate conventional business versus franchising, you've got to create a process to be able to do that, to do it effectively. So that's my uh, overarching sort of comment, if you like, um, can add to that easily. And so then if, if I can drill into that a little bit more, so you said it's for some people, maybe not for other people, who, who do you think is sitting in the sweet spot of uh, the type of person who is a buyer of a business or, or who wants to buy and own and operate a business themselves that should perhaps be thinking of a franchise? Okay. It depends what sort of business franchise it is. Some of them are very basic service businesses, like a cleaning business or something like that, where you don't need a lot of business acumen, but a lot of franchise groups, you need quite a lot of business skills. So if you're moving into something like a you know, a, a, re- a retail coffee lounge or restaurant, a coffee club or a McDonald's or anything of that nature. It doesn't have to be large. You need, I believe, to have business acumen. You need to have a good understanding of business because otherwise you're probably, no matter what the franchisor may do to help you learn, I think you may be going a step too far, is my view. So, And you've got to be someone, there's, there's quite a bit I could go into about what, who it suits. So it's, it's someone who's, who's really enthusiastic They understand that any sort of business is risk, undertaking any business at all. They're going to have to work. And in franchising, it isn't all done for you. There's a misconception there. You sit in the back of the the shop reading a paperback. The fact is your success is up to you and the tools that are provided are there for you to use to your best ability. And that's really the key thing. The, The difference between a conventional, let's say, business, standalone, and a franchise is that you've got these systems, and so, so to t- some degree, depending on the maturity and success of the franchise group, you've got a reduced risk compared with a conventional business. If you're buying a conventional business or you want to start your own, there's quite a lot of, I suppose, sad tales, as indeed there are in franchising where people make the wrong choice. And that's, again, something that one could list 100 points about buying a business or buying a franchise. And uh, perhaps I'll leave you to ask me more questions rather than take the floor. (laughs) And I guess, like, I don't want to labour the point too much, but coming back to most instances that I've seen in terms of the buyer of franchises, we're talking about individuals, generally who either one may have been involved in the industry that they're buying into the franchise or two, not involved in the industry, but they've got some sort of business background they want to be involved in, in business as a whole. But when I look at 
at the general buying pool that we have for standard, you know, general, typical, traditional businesses that aren't franchises. Quite often, it's businesses who are acquiring as part of a growth strategy. So I guess my question to you, is that ever the case in franchising? Do you ever have, you know, my assumption is probably no, but just want to sort of open this up to open our listeners' minds up to who might be the pool if indeed you ever do see that. I guess that's where I'm trying to go with it. Yeah, well, the answer is actually you do. (laughs) In fact, it's becoming more and more common. Consolidation is the term that's frequently used. So one group may acquire another one um, so that uh, they can expand and they can rationalise their overheads, their support, their training facilities, et cetera, et cetera. But also an existing business or indeed maybe a manufacturer or supplier or a wholesaler may acquire a franchise group so they've got a channel or an outlet for their products um, and they can manage the franchise group as well. So there's been quite a number of examples. Something like Battery World is actually owned by a battery manufacturer. Um, And you'll see a number of similar examples, which I could quote lots. And often the value of those businesses is quite surprising because if you've got a franchise you want to sell as a franchisor and there are a number of outlets, it's rather like looking at uh, a strip of shops or a small building of apartments. The return on investment, the value of the, of the, of the property is dependent on the rental income. Mm. And similarly with a franchise, it's the franchise agreement. So what you're selling is the franchise group. So you've got all the infrastructure, all the admin, all the management, the franchisees with their franchise agreements. So it's the likelihood of them renewing their franchises for a period of time and the likelihood of ongoing fees that someone is acquiring when they buy a franchise group. So consequently, the sad story with a few examples like Eagle Boys and Portia and uh, and a couple of others is that investors have become involved, often public companies, and they have bought into a franchise group and their objective is just as it is with a lot of large corporates, really to ramp up the profit, draw out everything it can and distribute as dividends. Unfortunately, that's the sure way of killing a franchise group. And that's what happened with Eagle Boys. They, they did the same, wasn't a franchise, but for example, with, uh, with Dick Smith, uh, the electrical stores. They bought it, they pumped it up, they went to market, they made a couple of hundred million, and then the business was, they pulled, it, they pulled the guts out of it, literally. And uh, so, basically, it lost money. And uh, so, in franchising, I would always say be wary of those big investors because their objective is wrong. But for businesses that are managed by people that have got, if you like, the right attitude, with the understanding that a franchise is a community business, it's, it's it's a family, and so you need to have people with similar objectives. And um, that means you've got to make sure the franchisees make good profits. And as Jim Penman says, if the franchisee is making good profits, then so am I as the franchisor. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, great. That, that's a great principle. And that's what drives people. And uh, in, on that, in that vein, even franchises, good franchises will often sell for more than a good business. Right. The, the reason being because it's fully systemized and documented. You mean the franchisee itself, right. Okay. Hmm, yeah. I think I mentioned an example when I was talking to you last. I don't know if we were recording at that stage, but I worked with a car service group in Cross Harbour um, called Speedy Lube, and they were rather like Ultra Tune or MyDAS, one of these car service places, and we got it ready to franchise, but unfortunately 
Doug McDonald, the owner, fell sick and couldn't continue working full time. He sold it. And the broker said he got 50% more because it was franchise ready than if it had been just a conventional business because it just it broadens the range of prospective purchases. And just like selling a house, the more people you get to inspect your house, the more likely you are to sell it and the more you like to sell it for. Absolutely. And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're interested in this topic, I highly encourage you to go and have a listen to the Talking Law episode with Brian and I, because we do discuss this in a lot of detail. But so without wanting to repeat the sorts of things we were talking about on on that podcast, I think the relevant element certainly to our discussion right now about buying into um, a franchise, whether you're buying in as a franchisee or whether you're buying the franchise group as a whole, is the higher higher the likely higher level of systemization that you're going to be getting as a part of that business purchase but i guess it must be said sitting on the flip side is yeah but you're paying that right so there's now there's this extra if you're buying in as a franchisee i'm talking about here you're buying in as a franchisee sure you're getting the systems that you know would are not likely to be probably to the same extent in a standalone business unless you really know what you're looking for but you're paying for it in this ongoing royalty fee and of course this is what we've seen in the media tripping up many of these franchisees part of um, who are part of these large franchise groups. So what do you need to do as part of your investigation? If you're looking at buying into a franchisee business, what should you be particularly looking out for in order to ensure that the royalties that you're paying really are the right mix in comparison to what you're actually getting? Yeah, look, most of the answers I'll be giving you apply to a franchise or, or a business that are looking to buy a franchise group. It's pretty similar. Um, um, the, the, the key is, it's obviously quite different if you're looking at a new Greenfields franchise yeah. as opposed to an established one. Because in a new Greenfields franchise, you're basically paying an initial franchise fee, which is the right to become involved. Mm. Call, call it goodwill in inverted commas. That's not quite the right term, but it's similar. If it's an established franchise you're buying, then you're actually dealing with the existing franchisee um, and they build up goodwill in the business. So it's going to depend on its value. But the first thing you've got to do, I think, is write a list because you really need to have a process to check this off. And, and you could have a list with 100 questions. I, I could run through a handful. So my first one is, do you have the qualities to be a franchisee? Now, to determine that, what I suggest you do that can help is to do a disc profile. Disc profile is a very, very simple 10-minute psychometric test. We build these into all of our businesses with our franchisors we work with. It's a way of evaluating someone and seeing whether they're a square peg in a square or a round hole. Well, talk to us about that. Okay. I, I was introduced by, uh, by Michael, Michael G. Gerber, the very famous author who wrote The, e, the E-Myth. Um, and when I was interviewing, he mentioned a friend of his called Dr. John P. Hayes. He's, he's, he's probably the most highly qualified person in the franchise sector in the world, I believe. He's written a number of books. And he has a disc profile. And basically, a disc profile, you quickly answer a set of questions. It's just tick the boxes. Takes about ten minutes, and then you, you determine what what your main character points are. There's four main ones. There's a D, which is a driver. So most entrepreneurs are drivers. There's an I, which is someone who's a extrovert, uh, probably a salesperson. So they 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 like talking to people. Then there's a S, who's a supporter. So they're the people who would make sure that the entrepreneur or or, or driver is actually 
things are being done in the background. And uh, so people like nurses are supporters and secretaries are supporters and so on. Because not everybody wants to run a business by a long shot. And then you've got the C's. The C's are the ones who are clinically detailed. So most accountants, for example, all is a type mindsets. If you're very, very detailed, then you're probably a C and you're probably fairly introverted. So, but you want your own way, but you're not going to probably be very happy in a sales environment. So if you do that, that test, um, I'll tell you where to get it and I'll send you a link as well if you like. Fabulous. We'll put this link, everyone, in the show notes just in case you're running along right now. There are a number out there, um, some of them you pay for, some you don't, but this one is franchise-related. It's called How to Buy a Franchise, and you find it at surveymonkey.com forward slash R, R for rabbit, forward slash How to Buy a Franchise. Great. Okay. Well, we'll link to that in our show notes. So what profile is uh, sort of the sweet spot profile for someone considering buying a franchise then, Brian? You can only generalise, of course, but people vary. Some people have got all one and none of the other. It's very rare to get some of the combinations. So if you're going to be a franchisee, you probably need a reasonable amount of I because you need to be good at talking to people and relaxed. If you're getting a nursing business, you know, so maybe you're doing some some medical treatment or whatever it might be, you probably need to have a lot of S because you're a supporter. But supporters are generally not people who are very introverted or happy selling. So you've got to find the balance. The main thing is you want a bit of everything. If you're looking as a franchisee, if you're a very high D, which means you're really an entrepreneur, you're probably going to rock the boat and not be suited in a franchise. Oh, dear. Looks like I may not be suited to a franchise here. I think my dear has a lot of D. <laughs> no, you'd be rewriting the rule book all the time and breaking the rules. So <laughs> you, you, you might be a good franchisee if you wanted to open, someone wanted to open their practice in New Zealand or the, or the Northern Territory for a period of time while you're knocking down the fences and building a business. But then there'll come a time when all they need is an administrator or manager to run that that section. So uh, that's important. So once you, you've looked at that profile, um, it starts to give you some information. At the end of the day, if you're buying a franchise or you're buying a conventional business or you're a franchise or buying a group, you have to protect your own interests. Nobody's going to do it for you. You know, everyone who's a vendor is in business. So I think it's important to understand that. If you're not happy selling, don't go into a business that relies on selling for the income. So, uh, and then as I say, you need to, to say, am I a risk taker? You know, am, am I happy stepping over the line and committing my capital? So then you've got to say to yourself, why are you buying a business? Why are you buying a franchise? Why are you buying a franchise group? The same thing applies, you know. Are you buying it? because you're looking for a nice, quiet life and it's a hobby and you just want to get some extra income or you've got ambition and you want to really get your teeth into something and grow significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of franchise groups offer opportunities for people to go up and up and up the ladder. We've all heard about the CEOs of McDonald's around the world who started off at the age of 15 behind the counter. You know, So there are people in franchising like that. So it's important to understand, I suppose, what's involved in franchising, You know, in determining is franchising for you, you need to understand what franchising is about. And sadly, a lot of people in the sector don't really understand. So you need to learn the terminology. You know, mm-hmm. what are initial franchise fees? What are royalties? What is a marketing fund? What's a disclosure document? There's a long list of those. And then you look at those 
aspects and you say, well, hang on, look at my disc profile. Am I, am I a good manager? If you're a, a sort of a high S, are you good at managing other people? Can you be direct and firm and say, look, sorry, you need to do that differently? Mm. Um, or I've got to let you go. Um, those sorts of things. You've got to say, will I follow systems, just as you mentioned just then. But the greatest people for franchising, without question, are people who come from a service background. So maybe they've been in the, been in the military. Maybe they've been in the fire service where they have lived in life determined by rules when when someone says climb up that ladder jump off that cliff jump out that plane they do because they have their faith in systems so they're great and then you've got to say to yourself do i have the cash flow you know i've got to support a family what happens if i don't get any profit for the first three months uh, and that's going to vary enormously that's why you pay a premium for an established business because you've got that ongoing income providing you don't wreck the business which happens a lot as some of your audience would know. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I also want to, I just want to flick back quickly because we were talking about the importance of, you know, having a bit of eye in there and being someone who is prepared to put yourself forward in market. But I do feel, I feel that's one area where I've seen some issues in the past. I feel that people who want to be business owners sometimes gravitate towards buying an established franchise because of the, because of the pull of the marketing support that goes into building up the brand. But, you know, maybe we can just talk briefly about that because back to the marketing, it also ties in right now with what you're talking about in terms of, you know, how are you going to ensure that the cash flow keep being generated? I think for people who are attracted to franchising because they don't want to do the marketing, you still have to be aware that there's still an element of um, sales involved because you're going to have to close sales. I mean, I guess it depends what it is, you know, if it's retail, but still in many businesses, Simply buying something that already has a marketing profile doesn't mean that that takes, that subsumes the whole marketing component. No, look, as we've moved into the, the digital age, this has changed quite significantly because my, my, my view is not shared by everyone. It's that the franchisor has no excuse these days for not stepping into the, into the spotlight and taking full responsibility for the marketing. When I say marketing, the branding, the overall marketing, the promotion, the sales, in lots of cases, it depends on the product, but certainly even if you're in retail, sure, the franchisee or their team on the shop floor have got to conduct the sales and they should be trained in that, but you're looking at the franchisor to get people in the door mm. because with modern marketing methods, it's really far better done with that and you'll contribute a fee towards that. So that's important to understand. If you're looking at a cleaning business or one that one of our clients at the moment is someone who's got a tutoring business, the tutoring business gets all the clients. All the tutors have to do is, is rock up at the person's house, knock on the door, go and run through the training course with the child, and that's it. The rest of it's all done by the franchisor. So it, it depends very, very much on, on how the growth is driven. So this is part of the investigation then, I, I guess, realising that it's not one answer fits all for all franchises. These are the sorts of questions that you should be drilling into on the basis of understanding what it is that you want out of the business and what indeed what your own strengths are. I guess that's what we're saying at base. Yeah, look, I could read off a lot of things. I was just say you need to look at the franchise group and say what's their success rate, you know, how many of their franchisees have they had? over whatever period of time, how many of them have sold out, how many have been terminated, and how many are still here. 
because in some cases you you know that that tells you a lot. And then you're going to say, okay, you're going to talk to the franchisor, do your research first, then talk to the franchisor, line yourself up first by Googling and putting in the franchisor's name and complaints or something like that and see what you come up with. With some of them, you find a myriad of complaints about all the problems in the group. So you need to know that. So once you get in touch with the franchisor, you need to find out what's their training, what's their ongoing support like, what will they do if you find it difficult, and, and what do they think of your suitability? If they don't test you and give you a disc profile or something similar, then you're saying, hang on, they're flying by the seat of their pants because they're taking you on face value. And we all know we can meet beautiful people, but once they've been working for you or you've had a relationship for six months, you're saying, oh, goodness me, we're not suited. So you need to be sure of that um, without any question. And then, and then I suppose you need to find out franchise groups, small and large, you need to find out Who's actually going to be the person I'll be dealing with when I'm in this group? And insist on meeting them because this is the person that's going to be the one you're going to lean on at times. So you need to re- need to make sure there's someone you feel comfortable with. And, and you need to talk to franchisees and say, you know, what's this group like? What's your experience? What's good about it? What would you like to change? Is the support manager someone, you know, how do you find him? Um, but carrying on with the franchisor, these days of changing technology, again, is very, very critical to say what's happening in this industry in the next five to ten years. If I was looking at a cast many years ago, I handled a lot of um, um, video stores. And I, I must say once 1995 was on and we started seeing a bit of digital delivery of videos and things, it was the beginning of the change because obviously these days the last uh, video stores in, in our area closed quite recently because it's a dead industry. If I was going to buy a car service business, I'd say, what are you doing about electric cars? Mm. You know, it's, it's not going to need car mechanics. It's going to need an IT person and an electrician perhaps, and that's about <laughs> it. So, so you, you want to make sure you're not buying into something that's actually um, got its days numbered, easy yeah. to do, because people will be looking to get out <laughs> when they see the writing on the wall. So knowing that is, is very, very important. And, and when you're talking to the franchise, all these are questions to ask. And you, you want to see the operations manuals. Do they have effective, simple, easy-to-access, cloud-based manuals that you can look at on your tablet or your computer and your team can to give you things like sales scripts, to give you things like catalogs and so on and so on, and little videos? And that's important. Um, and with the franchise or particularly if they're a smaller group or, or, or as most are sort of run by the founder or one of their, their family or whoever might own it, what would happen if you got sick? What would happen if you fell under the proverbial bus? Is there an exit strategy? Now, that might sound a little bit strange question to ask, but it's reality, isn't it? You know, things happen. Yeah. Um, I, I, think, I think you should ask the franchisor directly, uh, again, whether you're a you're buying a franchise group or whether you're a franchisee buying in, you need to say, have you been sued? Have you had negative press? Give them the opportunity of actually declaring it and saying, well, yeah, somebody did. We had this problem with this person that was resolved, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So, um, But then it, you need to look at other things, and it varies a lot if it's a service business or a, or a retail business. Do you give us a, help, a hand with leasing? 
do you give us a hand with selling if we decide at some stage you want to sell the franchise? Mm, so it's really drilling here into get, getting clear about exactly what elements they're going to be stepping to to assist with. Because, I mean, a lot of franchises also have a high level of administrative and finance back-ending as well. So I guess it's about really digging into that and understanding what it's going to cost you as well. Absolutely. You know, when I joined franchising, I, I, well, I, I avoided it because I said, why should I pay 7 or 8% or something when I can run a business? But when I joined the franchise group, I was stunned at the benefits, not from the franchisor as much as, indeed, the camaraderie and the support and the enthusiasm amongst the franchisees. Well, this is interesting. I, I guess this, mm. is, this is interesting then because this is a soft, uh, what would we call it, a soft asset maybe? I don't know if I've heard of that term before. Let's just coin it as a new phrase. <laughs> but, a, um, but something that doesn't, you know, there's nothing on the balance sheet uh, showing this, uh, I guess, community aspect that you're talking about here, Brian. But it's an interesting element to consider if you're effectively uh, joining a community of people who are united with um, similar problems and goals. It is, you know, um, and I suppose when you're doing that, you're looking at that and saying, okay, the other, the other examples, I could buy a business or I could start a business. You know, and we all know the statistics of people starting their businesses. There's something like 50 people starting a business every day in Australia and something like 65 closing down. Yeah, so, wow. you know, it, it just, unfortunately, it's, um, it, it's, a, it's a tricky area, let's put it that way. But yeah. you've got to look at yourself yeah. and say, what would it cost me to set one up myself? I, I remember when I first started working with Jim Penman at Jim's Mowing, and this is very typical of concepts. A couple of guys in the rugby club where I played said, Keeney, no one's going to buy a lawn mowing franchise. These guys were lawn mowing contractors. They had their daggy shorts and their T-shirts and a trailer and a mower and a broom. Uh, but, you know, within a year we had about 20 and within the third year we had about 60 franchises just in, in the Perth greater metropolitan area. So um, you look and say, well, I, it would cost me five grand to set it up myself and 20 if I buy one from gyms. But these people with gyms were making, even in those days, in the early mid-90s, you know, twelve, fifteen hundred dollars $1,500 a week. My mates weren't making that sort of money, that's for sure. So it's important to understand that and say, is, is it reducing my risk? What is the value of that relative security? And, and I think the other thing to do is look at it and say, because business is all about adding value. If you don't add value to a business, you've got to question whether you should be buying it. So it's saying, is there, is there room for improvement? Is this business run by someone that's perhaps reached the end of the road? Are they tired? Do they need to get on? Are they the wrong sort of people? Are they an S in a sales environment who can't, can't handle customers, they, they, they cringe every time the front door opens. So if you think you can add value because maybe it's a business you understand, be careful, by the way, in going into businesses that you love as a hobby mm. because sometimes that so isn't necessarily a good commercial fit. Yeah, we have seen this again and again and again, actually, you know, individuals coming out of corporate quite often, <laughs> which appears to be a funnel, and then moving into something on the basis that, you know, if they turn their passion into their day job, then they're just going to um, be deliriously happy all day long, every day. But the reality is unfortunately not that. So, in fact, in every one of those, almost every one of those instances, 
I've seen that the revolving door is probably like 12 to 24 months when they just say, you know what, this is buying it on the basis just because I enjoy doing it as a hobby is not good enough to make it a business. And what do you think that is, Brian? I have some of my own ideas, but I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on why. Because I mean, at base, it actually makes sense, right? If you love doing something, why not turn it into a business? (laughs) Well, you may be too passionate about it. You know, you spend all your time talking about fishing rather than selling fish, fishing rods uh, yeah, is yeah, one yeah. thing. The other, the other is you're a bit of a hobbyist, but actually it's a bit more technical than you realise. Yeah. So there's a lot of people out there who know a lot more about it than you. And I think it's one of the – this is what happens when people often buy things quickly on emotion. To me, it's always a danger signal. If someone says, yes, I'll have one, you sort of think, hang on, buyer beware, buyer's remorse, what's going to happen in six or 12 months or when the head lifts off the pillow in the morning. So it's important that you have a mentor, you have someone who's going to critique you realistically, not a critic, I think is important, but you need a team around you. Whichever of these things you're doing, you need an independent team, you know, a switched on accountant, a switched on commercial lawyer, you need a, a mentor, someone that, you know, a business coach or something like that, and people you trust that understand what you're doing and support it in principle and will validate it for you by looking closely. You don't want someone who's going to pour buckets of cold water on. A lot of mentors and professional advisors do that. So you need to make sure you pick someone that's in their field of experience. I think you're absolutely right. It's the field of experience because I think the bucket water pourers, (laughs) shall we call them, whatever they would give to them, I think a lot of the negativity often comes from the conservative side because they haven't seen it play out and they can't give good advice in relation to having seen what works versus what doesn't. And we say this again and again on this podcast, but I think it is the reality with all of the advisors that you're dealing with in this space. You really just need to deal with people who've been there, done that, seen the good and the bad. So they're giving you advice that's not based on what could happen, but the commercial realities of things that are likely. I agree entirely. Look, talking to an accountant, now a good accountant is critically important, but it is one that supports business. A lot of accountants are understandably conservative, so they tend to be rather cautious. They don't want to be seen to be endorsing what you're doing because they feel they may be putting themselves in a position of liability. So, of course, there's the tall poppy syndrome, which unfortunately is alive and well in Australia particularly. You've got to be conscious. You know, Everybody loves to criticise. It's, you know, why is social media so popular? Because everyone can get on there and have their bitch about things. So don't get me <laughs> onto that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's what people do. You know, your mother-in-law, the next door neighbour, the people at the golf club, oh, you don't want to go into business, you know, <laughs> jump up the road, lost half a million dollars. They're not what I would call worldly in some ways. So, um, And I think that actually, interestingly, brings us full circle because we kicked off this podcast talking about the easy issues to identify in the media with franchising and franchise businesses. And, you know, there'll be lots of people who, if this is something that you're looking at getting involved in, will point to those really high-profile cases at the moment. But hopefully what we've been able to do today is provide a really balanced view in relation to who really might be well-suited to this area and who might not be. (laughs) And all of those elements really that you should be looking out for if this is something that you're seriously considering moving into. Well, look, Brian, I just want to say a massive thank you for coming onto our show today. And if any of our listeners want to contact you to get a bit of advice about, I 
getting involved in franchising or things that they should be considering themselves if they're looking to create a franchise group themselves, how do they find you? My phone is one three hundred nine sixty one three six, and the website where you can get resources and contact me through is franchisesimply.com.au. And I can certainly share with you then the names of some really good books that you can get, such as How to Buy a Franchise and Taking the Fear Out of Franchising. There's, there are good books out there, and if you read them, you'll be steps ahead of the rest of the field without any doubt. I'm mentioning that, a plug for my book as well, How to Start My Own Franchise Simply, so if you're looking to start a franchise. Yeah, that's essentially it. I'm always happy to hear from anyone, and I always do my best to answer you as quickly as I can. That's absolutely fabulous, Brian. Look, I just want to say a very big thank you for coming onto the show today. Um, it's been a lot of fun. We have covered, boy, have we covered some ground here today in the area <laughs> of franchising. Woo, I'm worn out. I hope you had fun. To you, the listener, and Brian, thank you so much for coming on once again. It's been a privilege. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you, Joanna. Well, that's it for our discussion today with Brian Keane, founder of Franchise Simply. In this episode, as a quick recap, we talked all about the benefits and negatives, perhaps, of buying franchises um, and buying franchise groups as well, and how you can identify whether or not this is the type of business that you might want to purchase. If you'd like more information about this topic, then all you need to do is head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com where you can find this episode and you'll also be able to link straight through to Brian if you'd like to talk to him. There on our website, you'll also find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. We've got a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition and also to help guide them through the sale and acquisition process. And look, we work with clients both small and large. So don't hesitate to book an appointment with our legal eagles if you'd like to find out how we might be able to assist. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again. You've been listening in to The Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by a commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. Thank you.